This is just the beginning. So if you've got husband and wife and you're like, you need to get back, it's coming. It's coming. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for what's happening, God. New life. New life in babies, new life in youth, new life in the old. God, I thank you for what you're doing. Lord, we, we are just in tune with your heart. And so, God, as we, as we move forward, even today, Lord, with your word, God, we want your word to speak to our hearts, change us, transform us. Uh, I pray when we walk out of this place, we look more and more like you and less and less like us. This is what we desire. Be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hey, if, if you've just started joining us, we've been working through the kingdom of God. We're going to be there for a while. Do you guys know the kingdom of God is big? It's big. We're going to be there for a few weeks, months, all right? Um, but, but I really, like as I've read the Gospels and been reading in this season of life, I, just the same theme over and over and over. It's about the king and his kingdom, the king and his kingdom, the king and his kingdom. We make it so much about everything else when Jesus preached the kingdom. It's crazy. So we're going to stay on this. Um, today, we're, we're going to continue to do some introductory things. We're going to get real deep over the next few weeks on some things specifically in the kingdom. Uh, but if you joined us over uh, Palm Sunday, uh, you know that we talked about the kingdom of God was kind of that inauguration. The inauguration of Jesus riding in, palm branches, oh, the king is here. He's ushered in the inauguration of his kingdom. Easter sealed the deal. He is risen. He defe- the king has defeated death. Come on. The king has defeated death, he has victory, and victory is now found in him, and because he's found in us, we have, oh my goodness, freedom and victory, freedom and victory, we have them both, amen. And so, and so I want to I continue in this vein today, I want to talk to you about a principle that's really big in the kingdom of God. So Jesus is going to stick around after the resurrection, that should be mind-blowing, for about 50 days, he sticks around. And in that 50 days, in his resurrected body, he reveals himself to over 500 people, Scripture says. So over 500 people are listening and leaning into him that are believers in who he is. And this is where the new church is about to get its start. And so so they're leaning in for 50 days to the resurrected king. That is crazy. Amen? It's like, Jesus, you, and then you were, and now you're, ah, right? Like, it's crazy. And so for for those days, he reveals himself. And you know what he preached? The kingdom of God. He preached the kingdom of God. And then he says these words. He's declaring the kingdom of God. He says, I want you, before you roar out of here, I want you to hold tight because the Holy Spirit is coming. And we call that Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came, he came on Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was a celebration. It was a Jewish festival. But the Holy Spirit was poured out on Pentecost. And in that moment, the church goes after it. They just absolutely go after it. And it was during this time of Pentecost that there was something that happened. When the Holy Spirit was poured out, something shifted in men and women's hearts. Like before this, everybody was running their own race, their own journey. They all had this heart that they were chasing after, their desires. Yes, they knew God, but, 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 but they all had different hearts. And then something happens at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is poured out into all the believers, and then instead of having individual hearts, they all have the same hearts. Because the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives where? in us and so this mission that Jesus was on in this radical unity with the Father that mission is now in us with this radical uh, unity in each other amen so this is crazy Pentecost actually maybe one of the biggest things that it birthed yes the power of the Holy Spirit all those things but it was this radical unity for the days ahead 
like nothing that had ever been seen before. Everybody running their own race, now everybody running the same race. Crazy things. And I believe that's where the Lord is headed today for us. I believe that right now, we, we are in a season, the church, not Reliance, I'm saying the church right now, church Wichita, church Kansas, church, church uh, uh, in the nations. I believe that the church is headed for the kingdom of God radical unity that we saw in the first church again. I'm telling you, Matt's an African, Jake moves in Africa. They're hearing the same message in the African church that they're hearing right now. We, 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 Christy and I told you, we visited all these churches. We're hearing the same message. Why? Because God is going to get a unified bride. That's what he prayed for. Jesus prayed something. Everybody turn to John 17. John 17. Jesus prayed something in John 17, and Jesus always gets his answer. Always. He always gets his answer. And, and so I believe that right now the church is headed for a collision course of unity like we've never seen before. We just are. It's just the way God works. When he wants to stir his people, he brings them together first. Amen? So, and I'm not, please hear me, I'm not just talking about reliance. I'm not just talking about reliance. I'm talking about brothers and sisters in houses, in houses of worship across our state and nation, and, and across the world. He, there's a knitting together. And so, if you're in John 17, we're going to do some work in there. I want to convince you today uh, of the kingdom unity that we've been called to, and the word that's used is family. Everybody say Family. Like, we're chasing the Lord together. We're, we're chasing the Lord together. He's coming after a unified bride. He, part of our wonkiness right now is we're so divided. But he's coming. The scripture says he's coming for a bride. A. Everybody say A. a. Not many brides. A bride. That's the word that's used for the church. He's coming for a bride who's made herself ready. You know what that means? When a woman says... I put myself together for you, right? It means like I've made myself ready. So he's coming for a church. He's coming for a church where the Holy Spirit is putting us together in unity together. And in that unity together, we're a unified bride. There, there was maybe no greater revelation than on, on Easter Sunday with this. Three testimonies roared out of this thing. We, we, we had the testimony videos, and then across the room, three services, people were standing up that felt death over their life and defeat over their life and unlove and all these kinds of things. And we saw them making this correlation of going, man, I felt death, I felt defeat, I felt no love because I felt so isolated, because I felt so alone. And then when I listened to those testimonies that were played on Easter Sunday, something stirred in me and goes, I'm not alone. And then when we prayed, people, people prayed around me, and there was something about them saying, and we heard it testimony after testimony. I, for, for the first time, I realized I'm not alone. And th this is why unity in the body is so important. We were not meant to do it alone. Th How many of you guys know that God has order? God has order in his kingdom. It's not chaos. He speaks order into chaos. The church has been in chaos, and he's bringing his order. God has order, and order in God's kingdom is unity and family. They're together. Y unity and family, I'm, I'm going to convince you of this today. Unity and family is the order of, of God's kingdom. And, and I want to say this. This order in God's kingdom, you can see it in, in Genesis. You just got to go back to the garden scenario, right? In the garden, there was unity. There was Adam and Eve in unity, working together, lions, lambs laying down together, not chasing each other, eating each other. They were walking with God in the cool of the day. There was radical unity because that's the order of God. It's unity. And then something happens. 
deception enters in. A lie is spoken, and from that lie and deception, unity is broken. How do we know that? Because for the first time we said it, Adam and Eve are out there hiding from the Lord. They've never hid from the Lord before. But they know there's a disunity now between them. So they're hiding from the Lord. And so the Lord calls out. Adam pops up. He says, why are you hiding from me? The Lord knows what he's done. And he says, why did you eat it? What does Adam say? What does he say? The woman you gave me, Lord. That woman you gave me. Gave him the fruit, you know how it goes. Gentlemen, stop that. So now there's disunity between God and man. There's disunity between Adam and Eve. There's disunity. And then Eve even pops up and she's like, uh, the serpent you made, right? Like there's just, there's disunity all over the place. Lion and lambs aren't laying down together anymore. Lions are eating the lambs. You guys see what I'm saying? All of creation out of order. Because of the unity that was broken because of deception and a lie. Look, look, this is big. We have not all grown out of that. <laughs> if you have kids and, and you think about it, from, we, like, we don't train kids to say this, but from the time that they're little and they start to grow up, they have this saying, I do it myself. Nobody taught them to do it. They just say, I, you're like, here, let me help you. I do it myself. Anybody have a kid that says, I do it myself? It's this strong nature, it's this strong will, it's I don't need anybody's help, get away from me. And as kids, you're like, oh, that's cute, they just don't realize. Here's the problem, the kids grow up to be adults and many adults have a mentality, I do it myself. And the church has grown into a mentality of, we do it ourselves. And we've grown into this and it's a part of our sin nature. Because this was the sin nature that happened to Adam and Eve, is that there was this disunity and there was this separation. And so this sin nature is in us where we go, I do it myself. Let me give you an example of that. My dad, my dad, my dad is, 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 is uh, 70 years old. He'll probably be watching this on live stream. Hey, for 34 years, my dad was a pastor. He used me and my brothers in sermon illustrations. Pops, it's on today, all right? My, my dad, 70, 71, just had surgery on his, on his foot. They had to cut his Achilles tendon. Go in, shave bone off, reattach. He's out, and that's not his personality. He's been out for, for he, they said like eight weeks, you're going to be out. So they said, for sure, for the first two weeks, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Well, that's not the way my pops rolls, right? So they gave him a little scooter yeah. with the knee thing. Those things crack me up. So he's on the scooter with the knee thing. The first day of surgery, he gets back. Supposed to be doing nothing, drugged up. And he's, he's emptying the, the uh, fire out, you know, getting all the, the, the residual stuff out of the fire. And he goes to throw it into the corral. And he goes inside, doesn't realize he lit the whole corral on fire. So fire trucks are coming and he's trying to get out there with the hose. I'm like, dude, what are you doing, man? So that's like, that's day one. Day one later on, he, he's got this bird feeder and, you know, he's out in the farm, and so there's squirrels and everything, and he loves his birds, he loves his garden, and these squirrels come in and eat his bird food. And so he's watching them out the window. He knows he's supposed to not be doing anything. He goes, lovey, get my shotgun. <laughs> and he moves out there with the scooter, and he goes to shoot the squirrel. It blows him off of his scooter. <laughs> Hits his toe. He's on the ground. Oh! I'm like, nobody feels sorry for you, dude. <laughs> nobody. He... He can't, he doesn't, he just, does, he didn't ask for help. He just, he doesn't know how to ask for help. So much so, we were out there for Easter, and your mom goes, 
did you hear what your dad did, right? I'm like, what do you do? He's got a push mower on 14 acres with his scooter. I'm like, you are messed up, man. And you're, you're, you know what? Your other two sons are just like you. But, but we don't grow out of that. You see, it doesn't matter if you're 7 or 70. We've got this thing in us where we go, I do it myself. And in our spiritual life, we've done the same thing. I do it myself. I don't need people. I'll do it myself. And so we've got this thing. It's, it's, it's disunity in us, and it's not the order of God. It's not the order of God. Jesus comes in. He gives us victory. And, and when he gives us victory, and at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit's poured out, he brings us back into divine order again. He brings us back into divine order again. But, but we're seeing something in the church. We're not seeing that everybody's on board yet with that. And this is why I believe it's coming. I believe it's coming. John 17, if you're there, say amen. amen. John 17, 20. Well, let me, let me set this up. Before I go to John 17, 20, let me start with verse 10. Um, all I have, Jesus says, so you've got this father-son relationship. They're talking with one another, right? So it's a crazy deal. The father and the son in this Trinitarian relationship, they're talking with one another in a high priestly prayer, and Jesus is talking to his father, and he says, Father, all I have is yours, all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. So he's talking about the disciples. Because they've pressed into the Lord, because they've followed him, because they've walked in obedience with him, he's like, when they're in unity together, they're bringing me glory. Do you remember when they walked out, when the 12 were sent out, and they came back and they're like, Lord, even the demons believe in, in, in your name and they shudder with fear. That's James. But he's like, even the demons in that moment, they have to leave when we say your name. Amen? We did miracles, all these things. And so he's going, the glory has come to me through them. When they're in unity, Jesus gets his glory. Look, look, look at verse 11. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. I am coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, your name that you gave me, so that they may be what? One as we are one. Amen, Robert. <laughs> one as we are one. This is a crazy deal. Jesus is praying for oneness, but he's not just praying for like casual oneness. He says one as we are one. What does he mean as we are one? He's talking about the divine relationship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that you cannot separate or pull apart. And he's going, this is what I'm praying for my body of Christ to come into alignment with. That we would have such a radical unity. Not like, hey, Judith, I know you. Like, we are together in this thing. She is my sister in Christ, and we are together. There is a radical unity, I think, that we've been missing out in the church. Hang on. Look what he says. Verse 13. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that you may have the full measure of joy, of my joy within them. They may have the full measure of joy when I'm in them. Listen, verse 14. I have given them your, everybody say word. And the world has hated them. Do you want to know why there's division in our world and why there's a war against the things of the Lord? Because the world does not like the truth of Jesus. And here's what we've done to try to like temper that down. We're like, okay, what do we do? Let's change the word of God. To, and we say it all the time to make it more palatable. Like make it like, I, I, and I hear people say this. When you listen to the stories and stuff and you just, you start to change how scripture is. And I'm like, you don't change scripture. You just don't. 
I hear people say things, well, those are clab, cl uh, what I hear, clobber passages. I'm like, what does that mean? Clobber passage, what does that mean? It means you don't like it. Just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's not true. And so, so he's going, the reason you're hated is because he gave you his truth. Ah, uh, okay. Th this is what's causing division in our world. We got to decide, are we truth carriers or not? Okay, so verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Look what he says. Look, that's us. The message they carried, that's us. Like, right, the prophets, the teachers, the apostles, what they carried. Like, they, they passed on, generations have passed this on. You're a believer today because somebody passed on their message. So, so he says, that all, so he says, you're, you're believing in me today through their message, that all of them may be what? He didn't say some of them. All of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now, hang on. He could have stopped right there. He got his point across. Good, golden Jesus said it. Let's do it. This is how passionate he is for unity. It's like, I'm not done. Verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me. I believe he's talking about the Holy Spirit. I've given them the glory that's going to connect them together. I've given them divine order, the Holy Spirit. He's going to connect them together. I've given them the glory that you've given to me that they may be one as we are one. He says it again, that they may be one. I and them, you and me, so that. Everybody say, so that. So that. Look what he's saying. I'm, I'm in them, Heavenly Father. The Father's in me. So the Father is in me. If Jesus is in me and the Father's in him, where's the Father at? He's also in me. I'll stop yelling for just a minute. I, I in them, you in me, so that, everybody say that one more time, so that. They may be brought to complete unity. It's, it's impossible without the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. So the Holy Spirit's poured out, why? Somebody tell me, why? To unite us. The Holy Spirit's poured out to bring unity. We, we think it's about everything else, and yes and amen to miracles, all those things, we'll talk about that. But the Holy Spirit was brought in to unite us. This is where the power of God comes from, a united front. And then he says, then, now say then. then. So earlier he says, so that we'll be brought into unity, then. So once we're brought into unity, is it unity for unity's sake? No, so that we'll be brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me. Then the world will know that you sent me and that you love them even as you have loved me. Like we're making this thing way too complicated. The world is going to know the love of Jesus when we start living the love of Jesus with one another. The world is going to have radical evangelism, and we won't have to do massive crusades and organize and pay millions of dollars to try to get people to come to our things when we just simply come in unity with one another. It's crazy. We've got all these strategies in the world, but we don't have a unity, a unity strategy. It's crazy. And so he's saying to us that the world will know his love, and the world will know him 
when the church gets unified together. And so here we are throwing stones out there at the world going, they're so divisive, those people and this and that. Look at all that craziness out there. And the Lord's going, look at the craziness in here. Look at the craziness in my bride. Because judgment begins where? In the house of the Lord, he says. So there's a unity he's calling his people back to. We won't have to worry about division out there. When we start getting unified in, in, in here, they're going to start knocking on the doors. Actually, we're going to knock on their doors, all right? Because we're getting out of this place. And we're going to be the church, and we're going to live it out. That's another story, another time. But it's crazy that Jesus, in this whole thing, he doesn't say, Lord, what I pray is for more miracles. Yes and amen to miracles. Signs and wonders. Are, uh, uh, Tom McCright, some of you guys remember, he said signs and wonders are the dinner bell to heaven. It just rings the bell so that we know mom's calling, right? But in this case, it rings the bell because the father's calling, amen? And so, and so he doesn't say more miracles. He doesn't say, Lord, let them be rich beyond measure. He says, Lord, this is my prayer. This is his final hour. They call this the upper room discourse. It's the high priestly prayer. Jesus, a few short hours later, will go and be crucified. And in this moment, what he prays is, Lord, that they would be unified. We, we are seeing this theme all through scripture. It's unity with one another. And then the world will know the greatest advancements of the kingdom of God is when the kingdom people unite themselves to one. It's the greatest advancement. You want to advance the kingdom of God? You want to advance it? You don't have to go and plan something fancy. It's be unified with one another. Okay. He's saying, and I'm just telling you, this is maybe one of the most overlooked tools for evangelism when a broken world sees believers come together. It's crazy. It's crazy what the Lord does. How does all this play out? How does all this play out? In the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, you'll read about, in these first few chapters, radical unity, right? They're sharing their stuff, they're meeting together daily, they're breaking bread. It's crazy what God is doing in, in the book of Acts, and it's just, it's just wild, and here's what's happening. Every time they meet, it says their numbers are being added to what? Weekly? Monthly? Daily. Daily, people are going, I'm in. A thousand people, three thousand people daily, people are being added to their numbers. Why? Because they were doing something special? No, they were displaying radical unity of the Spirit. This was it. And it was attractional to people. It was, it was, it was John 17. It was a John 17 reality happening in the book of Acts. Jesus prayed it. Book of Acts lived it. Boom. People are coming into the gospel. We, again, we make it way too difficult sometimes. Then, then, this is how profound God is with this unity thing. Then you get to Acts chapter 5. Ooh. There's a little story of a, a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. It depends. You could say Sapphira, however you want to say it with your accent. I say Sapphira, all right? You got Ananias and Sapphira. And, and, and Ananias and Sapphira, they're in the church, and this is a story of two believers dying in the New Testament church. It's crazy. And, and here's what happened. There's such a supernatural unity going on, and the Lord is moving so powerfully in this unity that's going on. Ananias and Sapphira go and they sell some of their land, and they committed to the people. They committed to the church, their family. They go, we're going to give you all of the proceeds. That's what they told them. But the story says in Acts 5 that they kept some back for themselves. Now, they had every right to do that. They could have kept the whole thing if they wanted to. It didn't really matter. It wasn't about the money issue. It wasn't about what they kept. It was the fact that they had told this radical body of unity that they were going to give. And so when Peter comes to the, give it all, and so when Peter comes to them, he says, you lied to the Holy Spirit. 
boom, they drop dead. And you're like, what, Lord, that's crazy. How could that happen? And the Lord goes, my order of unity is so important in the church that a lie can destroy it because the lie destroyed it in the book of Genesis by a serpent breathing it into Eve's ear. And if the lie destroyed unity then, you better believe the lie wants to destroy unity now. And so it serves a reminder. You don't see that again. It served as a reminder to the church what is happening in this moment of order and unity is beautiful and it's only because of the Holy Spirit. Now, I was listening to a, a message by uh, Michael Miller from Upper Room on, on this a little bit and he says these words. He, he says, here's what happened though. Here was the, the, here was the result of that. They fall dead and then in Acts 5.11, this was the fruit of that. Great fear fell upon the church. Well, I should think so, right? Like great fear fell upon the church, but it wasn't fear of them going, whoa, what just happened? Get out of here. It was fear of everybody going, whoa, we got to get back into right order because that's where God moves. It actually brought them back into unity, not away from unity. Do you see, when you want unity in the church, you got to start with the fear of the Lord again. So this fear of the Lord brought them back into unity again. And I love, I'm going to quote him verbatim on this because I felt like this was a really good word. He says, now, now imagine that for today. Imagine saying that about our churches today. He says in that, that time there was a threshold of unity that people had to pass through when they got together with the body of Christ. He says, it wasn't a warm cup of coffee, a high five, a cool service, and I want to be a member. It wasn't church in Wichita, Kansas. It, it, it was if, hey, if you go there, you could die. If you go, hey, have you, have, you, have you been to Reliance? No, I hear people go there and die. Sign me up. And it was because that, that unity is God's order in his kingdom. This is what James says in James 3.16. He says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition, that's disunity. Selfish ambition means it's about me. I don't care about what you, you want to do. Selfish ambition means it's about me. That's disunity. He says, where, where, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. That's what we're seeing, isn't it? And then he says one more thing. I just want to quote him verbatim on this again. He says, here's the point. The point is there's more. Cultural Christianity isn't working because we can't tell the difference. A people-centered, people-driven, people-pleasing culture and gospel is not working. We've got to shift our hearts back to bringing back a God-centered, God-pleasing, God-fearing culture because that's where the kingdom of God moves in. This attractional thing is not producing fruit that lasts. And our call, our call is not to just produce fruit. Big deal if 10,000 people show up to a gathering. Are those 10,000 hearts in tune, in unity with the kingdom of God? He says our call is to produce fruit that lasts. We're not here to attract people. We're here to attract God. So this unity language that we read about in scripture, it gets relabeled in the New Testament as family. Everybody say family. And this is what he says all through scripture. It's family. It's about family. It's a father-son. Once we get the idea of Jesus and the father, Jesus tells us we can pray to the father and the father speaking back to the son. Everything we read now comes from a father-son lens. I'm going to point that out just real quickly to you. It's a father-son lens. This is how we approach God. That's why we sang that song. 
we approach God through a father-son lens, this is how Jesus is going to come and share with us in the New Testament. It's why Ephesians 1.4 says this, before him, before he chose us, before the creation of the world, be holy, blameless in his sight, in love, he predestined us, everybody say for adoption. It means I wasn't in the family. To be adopted means now I am. I, I, I wasn't, now I am. To be adopted to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance to his pleasure and will, to the praise and glorious grace, which, is, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Now you're a part, somebody finish it. Now you're a part of the what? You're a part of the whole family of God. You got brothers and sisters in this room. You've got family in this room. You've got family outside this room. Every church that dots Mays Road, 119, you've got family in those buildings. We, we, we roar with this one all the time. Galatians 4, 4, he says the same thing. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. You and I were under the law. There was a time we were buried by the law. We were buried by it. And I say buried by it because nobody, nobody could come up from underneath it. We couldn't fulfill it. We, he came to redeem those under the law. Somebody say, that we. He redeemed us that we would receive adoption to sonship. This is why he came. We've got that grandiose idea. We say it all the time. One day I'll start, you know, not, I'm trying to just strive. I'm striving. I'm just, oh, so weak. And one day, that's not what he says. He says right now he came to redeem you that you might receive sonship today. Today. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son. He gave us the Holy Spirit. Why? So that we could cry out, Abba, Father. That we could be family together. So you are no longer a what? You're not a slave and you're not a servant. But God's child, and since you're his child, God has made you his heir. What's my point with this? The point is this. We're not strangers with one another. We're not even neighbors with one another. We're brothers and sisters with one another. Let me tell you why this is so important. I've got neighbors that I know, and we go out and we shoot the breeze in the cul-de-sac. We talk about weather and sports and life and, and everything else, and it's okay. It's a neighborly thing. But I've got family that I've got intimacy with. When I'm sick and I need chicken noodle soup and my wife is gone, I call my brother up and I'm like, Ryan, get your butt over here with chicken noodle soup. He's like, that's lame, no way. And I'm like, you're my brother. And he's like, ah, oh, I feel obligated, okay. That's family. Family's like, I'm with you, I'm for you. You're going through it, you're going through the stuff in your life, I'm there for you. And I'm not just talking physical family, that's spiritual family, amen? That's family. Okay, okay. One last thing, one last thing. This is it. So we're not under the law of slaves. I, this is one of my favorite things. Hebrews chapter 3. There was a time that we lived as slaves and servants under the law. L listen, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in heavenly call, consider Jesus, the apostle, high priest of your confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in God's house. Moses was faithful. Said that he was faithful to the Lord, he was credited as righteous. Listen to this. Listen to this. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. 
as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant. He had to serve well. He had to keep that law, keep that requirement, keep that sacrificial thing going on because otherwise they were just full of wickedness and sin. He had to faithfully try to lead that thing and he still couldn't and he failed miserably. And listen to this, to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ, somebody say, but Christ. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. He's not faithful as a servant, he's faithful as a son. You've been transformed from a servant to a son, to a daughter. You're in the family of God. Oh. And we are his house. We're a house of sonship. Is that good news to anybody? If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. I'll close out. We, we were praying on in this burn, and lots of beautiful things happened for 12 hours, 8 to 8. It's beautiful. There's a moment at 9, at 9 a.m., from about 9 to 10, 10 30, it was all men in the prayer room. That doesn't happen. Usually you call prayer, women come in and they roar, and men are like, nah, it's not my thing. There was something that shifted, man, in that room. And there was men, and then this, 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 this gal comes in and she's roaring with us. It was beautiful. But for about an hour, we started roaring for the hearts of men. I want to speak to men for just a minute. We're going to pray over all families in this room. But I want to speak to the hearts of men for just a moment. There was order that God had in the garden, and lies and deception broke the order. And men started to hide in shame like Adam did. And there are men, there are men, listen, there are men in this house. You feel shame on you because you didn't lead your family well. You didn't lead lead your kids well. You, you feel shame because you walked through a divorce and you're like, oh, how could I have allowed that? Whatever. You've got shame. And so because of that, you're hiding. And when you hide, there's isolation. And when you isolate yourself, you're alone. And when you're alone, you're in disunity and you're out of order. You're out of order. And so I believe our society gives that over to men. They're like, men, go hide in your shame. That's what our society says, men, don't do that. Men, get out of here. Men, I don't care what God says. Men, and God says, men, I care about what I said about you. So every man in this house, stand up. Every man, I don't care what age you are, every man in this house, stand up. And I want to pray a prayer over men in this house. And then we're going to pray a prayer over women in this house. But men, I want you to hear my words here. If you've been hiding in shame, and you've been isolating yourself in shame, listen, for a long time the church was full. Women and families were coming while men, the, the husband stayed home, worked in his garage. Why? Because he goes, I do it myself. I do it myself. The do it myself days are over. They're over. So I just want to pray over the men in this house right now. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for those that have been wandering in shame. Shame God that's isolated them. Shame that's got them alone. Shame them that's got them, that's got them out of order. I pray, Jesus, right now for the men in this room in their hearts. God, whether they're grandpas, whether they're fathers, whether they're sons, whether they're cousins, whether they're brothers, doesn't matter. From the youngest to the oldest, God, we pray that you would raise up the heart of a man again to be in right order. There's a brotherhood that you've called men to. There's a covering that you've called men to. And we pray this over the hearts of men, Jesus. We pray, God, that men would lead faithfully in their home. 
whether they're married, God, or whether they're just in relationships, or whether, God, they're at their workplaces, that men would start to raise up and lead faithfully in our world again. We pray, Jesus, for the men who feel like they've been so wounded by life and so they just stay in obscurity. God, we pray, bring them out from obscurity. Remind them the mantle that you've placed on their life. We pray for men in this room, Jesus. We pray for men in this room. We pray, Jesus, that our society, in so many ways, that's tried to beat them down, God, men would raise back up again. Let there be a holy roar with men again. In Jesus' name. Men, sit down. Women, stand up. Women, for a long time, people try to stifle your voice. For a long time, people try to stifle your voice. And I believe there's a holy roar coming from women in these days. There's a generation of young women who believe their worth is what they see on TikTok and Instagram. There's a generation of women who believe their worth is what they give to some man someday. So purity issues are just not, just not there. Purity issues are all of, there's a generation of women that need godly women to come into their life. I don't care how old you are, godly women to come into their life and remind them of who their identity is. And I want to pray this over you. And I want to pray, Father, right now for every woman standing in this room. You have called these women. You've set them apart. You've given them a mantle as well. You've given them a mantle. Your, Jesus, your word to eat with that she was the life giver. God, you have put life-giving words. You've put life-giving anointing on these women. And I pray these women would rise up in this life-giving anointing. And I pray they would reverse the curse of this self-image issue that we're dealing with right now in culture. This self-image issue, God, where Eve looked at the fruit and it was appealing to her eyes. God, break that. May Eve's eyes stay on you. I pray these women would help fix eyes on you, Jesus. I pray for the mama in this room, the mama who feels like she's ruined her kids. I was no good. I didn't do good with my kids. I ruined. Break that shame off that mama today. Remind that mama that you're a good heavenly father. You've got them. You've got them. I pray for the woman in this room today, God, who's been wrestling in her marriage, wrestling in her singleness. I pray, Jesus, that you would come and you would remind her you're the greatest lover. You're the greatest lover. God, raise up this generation of women. Everybody stand up in the room. Father, we pray for this family of God, brothers and sisters in radical unity. We're asking for an outpouring in these days ahead. We pray that the world would come to know your love and come to know you've been sent from the Father because of the radical unity over this, over this house, God, over this room. And not just here, God, but every life-giving place. God, we thank you that you called us to family. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that that spirit that you put in us, the Holy Spirit, would bring us into the same unity that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have. In